Welcome to The Extra Dimension, the show where we take deep dives into topics at the heart of the technological convergence. I'm your host, Ian R. Buck, and today I'm joined by Ian Decker to talk about directed panspermia. Hi. Find the show notes for this episode of The Extra Dimension at thenexus.tv slash TED25. Now, Ian. Yes, sir. I have intentionally not told you the exact definition of directed panspermia yet. That's intentional? Yes, kind of. We, so we're going to build our way up to that. Is it, is it that, or did you just um, did you just ask me along because you knew that I wouldn't have time to do the, the research beforehand? So I asked you along, actually, bef- back when this episode was going to have a slightly different topic. Yes. But that topic led me, through my research, to directed panspermia, which is like the main topic that kind of covers all of the things that we're going to be talking about today. So it directed to directed? I guess so. Double directed? So let's direct our attention to the way that I got here to this this topic. Uh, uh, Last, sometime last year, this YouTube video was published on a channel that I follow of Federico Pistono, um, who is the author of a book that I was reading, actually, uh, as research for the post-scarcity episode. He's the author of uh, Robots Will Steal Your Job, But That's Okay, which is a really, really good book, by the way. Is, is that one, I'm assuming, uh, technological... Um so the technological singularity is one case that can bring us to a post-scarcity society, but is not necessarily like uh, needed for post-scarcity to come about. Okay. Yeah. But that's that's getting into the whole post-scarcity, which which you know We've I talked, talked about, about for an hour and a half with Brandon. Uh, go ahead and listen to the extra dimension number twenty-three, I believe it was, to hear that whole that whole discussion. But so in this. YouTube video um, that he posted, he talks about how we can colonize the universe using technology that is either like we have it right now or we are like going to be developing it soon, right? And it's all like it's it's all possible within the realm of physics as we know it. Um, so he's not relying on like you know hyperspace or anything that like may or may not exist, right? Okay. So yeah, to give to to give you the listener uh, the best sense of of how this video led us into our big subject of directed panspermia, um, I'm going to play some audio clips from that video to kind of you know get us there. Um, but I definitely recommend that everybody go and watch the whole video because it is like um, it's a really good video and it's a very interesting topic. Space has inspired and kindled the human imagination for generations. The first serious study of human colonization of other planets was done in 1952 by German physicist Werner von Braun. And since then, we have planned dozens of missions to Mars and other planets, but so far, not a single one has come to fruition. Recently, NASA has laid out a plan for 2035 and SpaceX has an even more audacious plan, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Space is hard. There are a million things that could go wrong at any time. And when they do, you have no one to ask for help. You are completely and utterly alone. So if we can't even make a quick stop to a nearby planet, how could we ever hope to colonize our solar system or the galaxy, let alone the entire visible, observable universe. It's just impossible. Well, it may sound completely crazy, but there is actually a plan without breaking the laws of physics and using only known technologies. Now, in order to make a plan work, we need a couple of assumptions. First, if nature can do it, so can we. And if we can do it, we can automate it. Let's start with the obvious. Don't send humans. When it comes to space travel, humans are too unreliable. They need food, clothing, uh, sleeping, they get jealous, they get mad, they get cancer when exposed to radiation from interstellar space. They don't last very long in space. Send small self-replicating probes. The idea is to build the smallest autonomous unit that can travel through space 
land on a target and do whatever is needed. This is called a von Neumann probe after the great Hungarian polymath John von Neumann. Robert Freitas had designs for a fusion-powered self-replicating probe since 1980, building up on NASA's Daedalus project. It would take 500 years to make a copy of itself on the lunar surface and weighed over 500 tons. But we are going to need something a little bit more um, quick and compact. If only there were something that we could take hmm, inspiration from. Take something as simple as an acorn. It only weighs a few grams at most. Essentially, it's a solar-powered machine that builds a giant factory that produces more acorn. It's quite amazing if you think about it. The information and algorithm for the process are stored in DNA, which can last for thousands of years and survive the vacuum of space. And if nature can do it, so can we. If we run the numbers using conservative estimates, we could realistically build a self-replicating acorn, uh, I mean uh, probe, capable of doing exactly what we need and weighing about 30 grams. Okay, we have our design for the probe, we can just shoot it into space. Well, not exactly. Our probe can't just barrel through the galaxy, piercing through planets and stars and asteroids. It has to eventually slow down decelerate, land on an asteroid or a planet, find resources, and then start the process of self-replication. We're going to have to make a bunch of these probes. The probe needs to be as light as possible and as simple as possible. Since there are no humans on board, it's much more efficient to design a system with redundancy, where we expect probes to explode, and so we just make more. How many more? If we work out the math, we need about 40 probes per galaxy to be almost sure that at least one will survive. Okay, how are we doing on our checklist? Self-replication, check. Deceleration, check. Redundancy, check. Okay, so we're ready to go. We just have to somehow build the probes, send them into space, 40 per galaxy, 400 billion galaxies out there. Easy. And we're gonna need additional pylons. We're going to need a lot of energy. And I mean, a lot. Remember, we said we're not gonna use any futuristic magical technology, so we have to rely on what we have and stick to what we know we can build. The best source of energy is staring us in the face. The sun is an amazing thermonuclear reactor producing one million times more energy in a single second than all of humanity's consumption for an entire year. The problem is, of course, that the vast majority of the energy does not reach the surface of the Earth, and uh, transporting and storing all of that energy isn't very practical. Unless we did it directly in space. The concept of the Dyson Sphere, a shell of solar panels surrounding an entire star, is a staple of science fiction but it's not as impossible as it may sound. All we need is a little bit of engineering, self-replication, and the power of the exponential curve. We start with planet Mercury. Mercury is close enough to the sun to receive a lot of its awesome radiation, but not too close to fry all of the equipment immediately. Now, building an entire sphere of solar collectors around the sun with the circumference of the orbit of Mercury is indeed a little bit too challenging. But since we don't need all of the energy coming from the sun, we could build something a little bit different. A swarm. A collection of independent solar captors in orbit around the sun, tightly coordinated and arranged in a grid system. Commercial solar panels today have already exceeded 20% efficiency and some even 30 or more. And that, if we work out the numbers, is more than enough. If the goal is seeding the universe, we need to expand in every possible direction. This is the classical strategy. First, we visit a few galaxies, then we refuel, make more spaceships, jump to the next galaxy, and so on. Each time we land on a planet, we have to slow down, build another Dyson Swarm, and repeat the process again and again. It's really slow. Here is another option. We start from one galaxy, the one where we live, build enough probes for redundancy, and shoot all of them at once. It doesn't really matter how long will it take for each of the probes to arrive, 
once they're gone, they're gone. Some of them will be destroyed, and that's why we have redundancy. But eventually, the ones that survive will reach their destination and fulfill the duty. Okay, let's review the plan for colonizing the universe, sort of. We build autonomous, self-replicating von Neumann probes and send them towards Mercury. The probes start to mine the surface and make copies of themselves, building solar collectors that will generate the energy to mine more materials and create a Dyson swarm around the sun. As the loop feeds on itself, in a little over 31 years, we have consumed the entire planet and built trillions of probes. We launch these probes into space, 40 per galaxy, once a probe reaches its destination, it will decelerate and seed the galaxy by landing on an asteroid or a planet. Then it repeats the same process, thus beginning the colonization of its new galaxy. Now, this is an extremely bold and audacious plan, and there are indeed a lot of things that could go wrong. For example, if the density of interstellar dust is 10 or 100 times greater than what we originally estimated, we would need to build 100, 1000 times more probes, which would require extra steps and extra hops in between a galaxy, thus making it much longer. Still, in cosmic timescales, these are very small numbers. What's 30 or 300 or 300,000 years when the universe is billions of years old? And this raises a very important, somewhat puzzling question. If the colonization of the entire universe is well within the reach of an advanced civilization, such as ours a few decades or centuries into the future, how is it that we haven't seen any signs of these civilizations out there? We haven't seen Dyson swarms or spheres around and we haven't been colonized by other intelligent species. Or have we? Or have, have we? we? So, I mean, that does actually lead me to a couple of questions. Okay. One, is, the, is it possible for mass and matter, specifically as we know it, to move too fast? So, like, would it be possible to take uh, an atom mm -hmm. and move it fast enough such that the nucleus and the electrons were moving at different speeds and actually separated. I have no idea. What what in this video made you think of that? Not necessarily that, but just thinking about why haven't we been visited yet? Because if we are so far apart from everything, mm -hmm. we would need to be able to move at a ridiculous amount of speed, um, especially for us to have been visited within our recent memory. I mean, 10,000 years is less than a blink within... Right, but they're not just talking about, like, have we been visited? It's also, why haven't we seen any signs in any of the observations that we've made of the universe, right? Yeah. Because we haven't detected any any stars that have Dyson swarms or spheres around them, right? We haven't detected any, like, communications, you know? Because communications can go much, much faster than, like, actual physical objects. Assuming that we are communicating the same way. Yes, yes. And yeah, even, I mean, even if like the, the radio, like radio signals that they send aren't encoded in a way that we could read, you know, or not necessarily radio signals, right? Like any communications. In theory, we should be able to recognize communications as being like, well, that isn't a naturally occurring phenomenon, right? It has some sort of like pattern that we can kind of go, right, that, that, that seems to have been created by something intelligent based on what we know based on what we know yeah going back to like the 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 carl sagan book contact which was made into a movie that i think we watched in my junior high science class right uh, uh, yeah where they they detected like i think it was like the fibonacci sequence in, in like the you know mm -hmm. the dot the beeps that were coming through what, did you have any other questions based on this so far i guess not i mean i'm sure there were more they're just it's trying to balance the questions of also absorbing. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so let's dive into that question about whether or not we have been colonized by other intelligent species. So first off, what he, what he was talking about was most of the video was kind of using wording that, that made it seem like we're going to create mechanized probes, right? Mm -hmm. That, that are like robots. But as we know, that's not the only mechanism that we could use to 
like send self-replicating stuff. He even mentions in the video that DNA is a model that we could take inspiration from because DNA is like programmed to replicate itself. Mm -hmm. It uses biological processes as the mechanism for doing that, right? And so I kind of turned the thinking around from could we do this with our current technology to are we the technology that has already done this, right? Mm -hmm. So if if Earth has been colonized in a manner similar to what he was talking about in the video, early microbial life on our planet could have been these, like, quote-unquote, self-replicating probes that were sent to this planet in order to start making more of themselves and then eventually, like, get to the point where they could, you know, send off copies of themselves to other planets, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to kind of dive into. And that brought me to, very, very quickly when I started researching this, to the the term directed panspermia. So two words. First word we're going to look at is panspermia itself, right? So panspermia is just the concept that life on Earth somehow originated elsewhere in the universe and, you know, was transported here to Earth uh, and like, and started to, you know, multiply and spread on our planet. And so there's there's several different hypotheses about different methods that may have you know that that life could have like hitched a ride on you know like meteorites or comets or you know like Mm -hmm. being pushed by solar winds or something and directed panspermia is the specific hypothesis that it was an intelligent species that that sent the that early life to our planet to start the colonization process so if we think about like in pop culture Right, we've seen it pop up several times. The the one that I thought of, of course, was Prometheus, that uh, 2012 movie that was oh so wonderful. We saw the midnight release. Did we really? We were that invested in it? No, we weren't that invested in it, but we saw it and it was bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, but yeah. So the the concept itself has been around at least since the 1960s, um, when Carl Sagan like wrote a paper about it. It's it's appeared in like, in in science fiction uh, way earlier than that in like like the 1930s. I think is the earliest that I'm aware of. But it's it's a really interesting concept because it's it's impossible to like either like prove or disprove. And we'll dive into the reasons that it's very difficult to to you know go either way on that and it's also like it it gets into a lot of really higher order concepts about like what is our purpose and you know what like what are we doing here right how should we how should we treat the rest of the universe right is kind of affected by whether or not we think that we were sent here by another civilization right and that's if we buy into what they sent us here for right yes Mm -hmm. so let's talk about like what that civilization may may have been like, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be that they were based on DNA and also, you know, decided to, like, just seed the same type of life onto other planets. Because um, a lot of people who, like, have thought about directed panspermia think about it in the concept also of us humans, is this something that we should do? Should we seed other planets with microbial life you know from earth right Mm -hmm. but as as illustrated in the video that we watched earlier you don't have to send life in order to colonize the universe right you could send something mechanized Mm -hmm. so so if we work backwards from there a civilization that sent us here may be based on dna as well or they may be some other form of life that, like, you know, views DNA as just some storage mechanism, right? As mm-hmm. and, and would, like, think of us as robots the way that we think of robots. Yep. Which is a really fascinating concept to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about it a little bit on the... Uh, on the canoe on, trip. On the canoe trip. Yeah. Specifically, I think that was... We were talking about the, the technological singularity, yes. right? And whether or not we are the result of some previous technological singularity. Mm -hmm. By the way, the singularity is a topic that we will be getting into in a later episode of The Extra Dimension for sure, Um, but that's going to take a lot of research, so that's probably several months down the road at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it, though. Oh, definitely worth it. Oh, that's... it's. It is one of the the big, huge, like, existential, like, questions that I... I, 
Speaking of te- technological convergences. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the ultimate form of uh, the technological convergence. Which then, actually, oh, that reminds me of Aristotle's proof of God. Are okay. you familiar with that? Um, I don't remember which one is Aristotle's. Okay, so Aristotle's universe, the way that he thought that the universe worked was everything is cause and effect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, basically very basic, but also pure, oh shoot, what's the word for it? It's not free will, it's... Deterministic? Deterministic, thank you. Like pure determinism. Okay. And so, according to his view of determinism, there had to be something to have started the first chain, to have started the chain, to have started the first, to have been the first cause. Right. Did he think about what possibly started that thing that started the chain? I don't know. <laughs> and that's the thing is, is to my knowledge, uh, what he believed it was, is it was just sort of this, this large baseless thing that didn't really interact with anything else. Mm-hmm. It, uh, nor did it even pay us any heat or any attention. It was just this, this cosmic force that one day did something mm-hmm. and that set off this big chain of events. But so what if, that that begs the question of what if we are the, the technological singularity of another species that was the technological singularity of another species that was the technological right. singularity, so on and so forth. And then, of course, you get into the, like, life, and right now we are basing the world and our understanding of the world and how it works based on what we can, under, what we can perceive, mm-hmm. whether that be the stuff that is physically there that we can perceive or the stuff through the patterns that we notice through mathematics and physics. But what if there's stuff that exists in a way that we can't perceive it? Right. Yeah. Which is kind of like, whoa. Mm-hmm. So speaking of speaking of DNA, DNA does provide us with some like kind of clues about whether or not this is like the case, right? Specifically, all life on Earth is like based on DNA, right? Yes. Or at the very least, I think RNA, right? Because I think viruses are made just, yeah. Yes. Um, well, viruses aren't technically considered to be alive because right. they don't. Depends on who you ask. Yeah. yeah. Depends on who you ask. But anyway, so so DNA is so ubiquitous that it's it's kind of puzzling that there aren't other other forms of like storing genetic code that are out there, right? If yeah. like if 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 life just kind of developed here on Earth on its own, you would think that there would be several like kind of competing forms of self-replicating uh, molecules, right? And it is possible, definitely, that, like, DNA was just so much more effective at, at replicating itself than, like, other forms that developed at kind of the same time that it just, like, kind of overtook them and, and beat them out, you know? Yeah. Or it just had the head start. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah. But it's also, you could also think of it from the case of, like, if we assume that we were seeded, the, peop- the, the, the civilization that, like, seeded this planet probably wouldn't have been using multiple different forms of storage for the you know for the information needed for self-replication right Mm -hmm. so that would explain why dna is like the only form that we see here on earth also if we take a look at dna one theory is that they like our progenitors may have wanted us to figure out that we you know came from somewhere else Mm -hmm. and so they may have left like you know markers specific like messages in dna uh for us to find right and actually in 2013 there was a group of physicists who claimed that they found like a signature like that um a sequence in dna that they thought was like that this is uh you know enough of like a repeating pattern kind of thing that they were like that this probably didn't happen naturally but of course that's been like refuted so pretty handily yeah (laughs) and and yeah like i said like even if we find stuff that seems like it may have been like written by some intelligent being. It could just be random chance, right? Mm-hmm. There's always that chance. Like, it's impossible to like prove this true or not unless we actually are like directly contacted by anybody out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the universe is one giant ad ignorantium. Ad in because I don't know. Ad ignorantium is a logical fallacy that mm-hmm. basically says you can't disprove it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the argument that you can't prove it's not there. Right. So like all mm-hmm. uh, all religious arguments. And and another problem with like the signature in the DNA thing is that like DNA mutates over mm-hmm. the course of generations, you know? So there's like no guarantee that a signature that was placed there would still be readable today anyway, right? Yeah. It w- might not exist in any, any uh, living beings. I've also thought about whether or not, like, we are a good 
form of space colonization, right? Mm -hmm. If if DNA is like the actual mechanism that we would want to use, because like we're not very fast at self-replication, right? If I wanted to build some machines that went out to a planet and mined resources and then built more rockets or you know more more transportation methods to like send more probes to other planets, I mean, I'm not an expert, but I probably wouldn't use like living cells i mean within the context of what we know mm -hmm. of how the universe works it doesn't feel like we are particularly fast right yeah and so so yeah i am comparing us to like the technology that we ourselves are developing and like a civilization that may have built us wouldn't necessarily have like had the same tools at their disposal i guess you mm -hmm. know so it's it may be that like we just happened to be the best thing that they had come up with so far right and then and maybe they sent out more probes later on that have like you know more mechanized things that can replicate faster and you know now that's a sci-fi concept right there right we get invaded quote unquote invaded by you know a bunch of like robots that are just trying to like you know replicate and make more probes but I mean, um but they're from the same creators as we're from right just so a, just a later version version 2.0 i mean who's to even say that we were necessarily like if dna was sent out that it was made with a purpose. Because, mm. like, to my knowledge, so one of the theories of how life was started was that there was meteorite impact, mm -hmm. um, and that caused amino acids to form, and eventually enough of them formed that biological molecules eventually started to form out of those, and then so on and so forth. Right. So who is to say that those amino acids or DNA wasn't thrown at the earth because it was just something that they knew to self-replicate mm -hmm. and they weren't necessarily entirely sure of how it would manifest mm. given the certain circumstances. So like we might be a big experiment just to see what happens. Yeah. Mm. Or just to say, Hey, we sent this thing out cause we could. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I mean, I should hope that, that like an, an endeavor of that magnitude would have a little bit more thought behind it than just like, ah, oh, we can do it. Why not? Well, I mean, you know? what's, uh, with the, the, the video that we just watched. Mm -hmm. What is the point that he had other than to just have things expand? And right. I mean, it, is, it is expansion, but it is not necessarily expansion with a purpose other than to put something that we understand out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, so y you may want to expand for the purpose of, like, making things easier for yourself down the road right so you might send out these probes with programming that like has them set up a bunch of planets so that they are now habitable for like humans or human-like life you could send out um, a bunch of probes just so that you have enough of like a base that like thinking way down the road right that we can start like collecting matter in in order to prevent like entropy from just like you know taking the entire universe and making us all just heat death right yes. so it, that really gets into like the question of what is our purpose as a species right is are, are we just trying to increase complexity you know do do we just want to spread humans as far as we can do we want to spread just life in general as far as we can do we just want something intelligent out there you know like mm -hmm. What what is it? What do we want? <laughs> do we have to want? We're we're a kid at a candy shop, and the candy shop is the entire universe, and we just can't pick what we want. You know, the problem is we're not tall enough. Yeah, that's true. That's that's the problem right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew, yeah. There's also a few. We're tall enough that we can't even see the counter. We can see some of the counter. We can see some of the counter. Yeah, and there's there's some parts of the counter that we'll never get to see. Uh, mm -hmm given physical limitations of of the speed of light <sighs> which makes me kind of sad but mm -hmm. you know you might also like conclude that that sending out these probes is not a desirable thing to do for several reasons right because like um given the the vast distances out there if you send out you know either like mechanized probes or you know like living microorganisms to develop into more you know complex life later on either of those things might become like kind of a rival civilization to your own later on down the road because like you know they're far enough away that you're not going to be able to communicate effectively with them they're going to be developing on their own they're going to be changing you know and so you you don't know exactly like what they're going to do mm -hmm. but of course like in order to discount like 
directed panspermia as as a whole, we would have to argue that like all technological civi- civilizations would come to that same conclusion, which I, I find it unlikely that like every single technological civilization that ever arises in the universe would would decide that. You may also want to avoid doing, like, sending out microbes uh, in order to avoid contaminating other planets, right? So, like, you might want to keep them pristine just for, like, scientific research or just out of, like, I don't know, respect for the natural universe or something like that. Can you think of any other reasons that you would want to avoid contamination? I don't know. I mean, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of disassembling mercury. Mm for the sake of the Dyson sphere, but that's because the universe that I have known is something that contains the planet Mercury. Right. But we don't have much trouble, like, uh, digging up large swaths of our own Earth in order to mine minerals from it, you know, kind of thing. So this is just, like, this is just mining on a larger scale. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, like, I don't know if there's going to be a big tourism industry for Mercury in the future, but it seems like it's kind of, uh, you know hot and a a useless rock if we don't use those resources in some way yes so a lot of people who have thought about the ethics of directed panspermia have definitely said that we would want to avoid seeding other planets that already have life on them right Mm -hmm. so that because because like that's just like you know not right We, we we don't want to eradicate other forms of life before they have a chance to like kind of grow up and figure out Based on our ethics as a yes. society. Yes. And so so you would probably limit, like, directed panspermia to, like, very young planets that haven't had time to uh, d- develop life. Or even before that, like, you could send them to very young um, star c- systems that are have, you know, like, proto-planetary disks but haven't, you know, coalesced into planets yet. Got it. Now, of course, there's no guarantee that other civilizations are going to come up with those same ethical standards as as we're coming up with here mm-hmm. but that would that that is one that is one direction that that most human thinkers have have gone when it comes to what we should well, do with directed the sort of human thinkers that are willing to think about this sort of thing yes but i mean ultimately aren't the, those the only thinkers that matter the ones who are willing to do this thinking <laughs> <laughs> but i mean if it becomes a reality then mm-hmm. it won't just necessarily be a thought, then it'll be a thing. Yes. And this therefore, feels like a really wishy-washy conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what I'm saying is is you are, or that, that assumes that the morals of the people who will be in charge and the morals of the people who are wanting this project to go on because they are the ones who are currently willing to think and willing to explore mm-hmm. this concept are ones who will also want to necessarily explore other things whereas there could be other people who like with colonization Mm -hmm. would want it to be just no let's make this a haven for humans right Mm -hmm. this feels like um civilization beyond earth (laughs) where you've got like three different factions one which just wants to eradicate all the life that's existing on that planet currently so that we can make it safer for humans one that wants to like meld with them to you know become one with the planet or whatever. Hmm. And I think the other one probably just was using technological means to like upgrade humans or something like that. I don't Hmm. know. Yeah. And then the final, the final uh, thoughts that I had on this subject is like, what does the idea of directed panspermia have for the Fermi paradox, which is something that he mentioned like right there at the end of the video as well. Like why haven't we seen evidence of other civilizations that, um, you know, have created these Dyson swarms to, you know, send out probes. And, and again, that is assuming that they, that we are, that they would exist in such a way that we can observe them in the way that we are looking. Right. Yes. And if, I mean, if directed panspermia is the way that life on Earth began, I think it's reasonable to say that, like, it's more likely for the civilization that sent us to be similar enough to us for us to recognize, right? For us to be, at least be able to detect them, right? Mm, not necessarily, because I'm still going to go back to my point of even if, or because of the irregularities of DNA and the ability of DNA to mutate, mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that the way that that life would have coalesced. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Also, I'm thinking about like, 
the concept of us sending mechanized probes, we wouldn't necessarily build those probes with like the proper sensors to be able to detect us from so far away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, we would probably want to allow the probes that we're sending to kind of adapt themselves to not like not just for the sake of like each planet that they visit is going to be a little bit different so they're going to have to be able to adapt to those circumstances but also like adapting what their goal is over time as well because you know at first they're going to want to like build some more probes and send out more probes to more planets but also they probably want to develop like what is on their own planet as well in order to make the whole process of existing like more efficient so you know what maybe dna is actually a reasonable like method of uh <laughs> of of sending information to you know self replicate because of how variable it can be yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. very interesting but yeah so so if we have some civilization that sent us here, if they have the technology to do that, they definitely have the technology to like send messages out here as well. Is that fair to say? If they can send physical objects like self-replicating microbes, they can they can send messages of some sort. They can send yes, a message of some sort. Yeah. Yes. But of course, uh, given like these vast timelines that we're dealing with, it's not necessarily the case that they would still be alive, you know, by now for for you know us to communicate with them or them to communicate with us. Because mm-hmm. again, they might exist on a completely separate timeline. Mm-hmm. Like, for all we know, if like the way that we define life, the way that they define life, say like one creature's lifespan is like several million years old. Right. Yeah or several billion years old, then like this could be just like not even a single generation for them. Mm-hmm. Now consider though, that if they went with the strategy where they send out a bunch of different probes to a bunch of like different galaxies, right? Mm-hmm. We would probably have other neighbors who were built using the same methods as us, right? Mm-hmm. So they would be probably similar enough to us for us to recognize, right? So why haven't we detected any of those civilizations? Because those would be around the same age as us on the grand scheme of things, right? Because they would have been sent out around the same time as us. Well, I mean, we're thinking of, excuse me, are you thinking of solar systems or galaxies? Because with uh, his, his thought was sending them out to each viable galaxy. Right, yes. Which are numerous and far, and I mean... Right, Imagine and they, the so they might not be close enough to us for us to be able to see them yet. Yeah. Or to have even had a message sent out that would reach us yet. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we sent out some radio signals back in the 40s, but how many uh, galaxies are within 40 light years of us? Right. Uh, I think none. Pretty sure none. Yeah, so that, so that would that, yeah, that would definitely rely on them using the the strategy where they send a bunch of different a bunch of probes to one galaxy to seed it in mass instead of sending just enough to have like one succeed in a galaxy mm-hmm. yeah all right hmm. and again that's also assuming that they will use like radio waves or light waves as as a form of communication as opposed to just straight mass right and i i mean i'm te- i'm so tempted to just say like yeah, but like radio, like light waves are just the fastest, best way to to send messages that we can observe. And it's easy for me to say that, but like, yeah, other civilizations may not come to the same conclusion. What if other civilizations can't even recognize light? So it's um, I'm having trouble imagining a civilization that would be able to develop and be successful enough, you know, without being able to detect light. Because light is a rather important thing. And so is dark matter. I mean, dark matter is the biggest thing in our universe. Yes. And we know that it's there. But we don't really know how to use it yet. No. Correct. And we... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah. It, it, it's... Mm. <laughs> there are so many variables. It's, it's kind of impossible to say mm-hmm. yes. And it's, it's not just like that there are variables. It's that there... We cannot say for sure that our understanding of the galaxy is like the the not the best but like even like the correct understanding of the galaxy right when it comes to any strategies like it not might on not a cosmic be, scale it might not be the universal understanding oh yeah ian what would you pay for the universe 
Uh, well, what would you do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> oh, man. So this, yeah, this topic just like, I love it. I love it. It's so fascinating. <laughs> because we don't understand a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we probably like never, never will. will. Unless, uh, you know, unless we manage to be so darn successful that we, you know, have spread ourselves far and wide and we know like for sure that there isn't any other life in all of that, you know, space that we've covered. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, uh, that's a long ways away. And here we are. Just two fools talking about it. So question for you, Ian. Answer. What do you think our purpose is? Since that, since that like affects our, like a large part of oh, our geez. strategy going forward, right? Because like when I, when, when I was researching all this stuff, a lot of the like ethics was based on what's called biotic ethics, mm-hmm. which is the idea that like life being this, you know, very unique phenomenon in the universe that self-replicates and increases in complexity you know and like and and being that we are living things right it like it is our duty it is our it is it is our moral duty to promote life in general right Mm -hmm. so if we do anything that would like harm life like or or like harm life's chance of you know continuing forward that would you know that would be like an evil thing right yes and we have to kind of let go of like this this idea that like human life is necessarily the best life you know the the life that we should be promoting and so so yeah like directed panspermia is of like something that biotic ethics definitely promotes right Mm -hmm. is spreading you know the the life that we understand that's based on dna to other solar systems in order to like kind of make it more likely that life is going to continue if there's like a catastrophe in any one place, right? It just has more chances of succeeding. But like from my perspective, I'm just like, well, any any increase in complexity, you know, any increase in like intelligence in total in the universe is a good thing, right? So like I would totally be okay with like replacing living life with like mechanized life, right? We were just talking about how those two are sort of interchangeable, potentially. Yeah, they they potentially are, because like as as long as as long as you know it's it it self replicates and uh you know is like striving for greater complexity, mm-hmm. I don't see why life has like the moral high ground over like artificial intelligence and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that probably just comes out of instinct of self preservation. Oh, the desire to have life be the thing? Yeah, to yeah. have mm-hmm. what we understand to be biological life. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, as, as as big a game as the, as biotic ethics talks about how, like, well, human life isn't necessarily the life that we're, you know, we're trying to promote. But we're going to definitely make sure it's there. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, like, currently on Earth, like, human life is definitely the form of life that has the most complexity, the most chance of like, you know, kind of furthering our goals of having greater complexity in, in the universe. Right. You know, so we we definitely shouldn't be like killing off all humans, Uh, (laughs) but like, you know, it, it doesn't, I'm not discounting the possibility that we could create something else getting into this technological singularity here mm-hmm. that, you know, could be better at increasing complexity and increasing intelligence. So than your thought is exist and let exist. Yeah. As opposed to um, have human uh, survival and biological life as we understand it to be the, the primary form of what we can observe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I understand why it's such a scary thought that like human life could end, but like something else could continue in our place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it it gets, it also gets into uh, questions like Legion said of, does this unit have a soul? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, hmm, Hmm. well, does, is, yeah, is, is like a soul, which is of course not like a scientifically provable or improvable concept as well. Like, is is that one of the prerequisites for uh like being this this uh, complex life that we want to have continue? And does complex life have to be societal in the way of 
individual beings. Right. Yes. Could it be a large network of like algorithms that work together to figure out the best way forward? And yeah. Neural networks. Neural networks. Exactly. One giant neural network. Yes. Yes. Um, although even if you have like large neural networks like this that are that are, you know, kind of planet wide or, you know, like solar system wide, right? Eventually you'll get out to the point where like things are just too far apart to be able to like communicate with each other in a timely manner. And so they will probably develop into separate neural networks and then we just have like different civilizations. Assuming that they still work the way that our neural networks that we understand. Yes. Yes. But I'm yeah, I'm not constraining it to any like one particular method of being a neural network. Yeah. yeah. I'm just using that as kind of a proxy for like the the process of consensus, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get you get, you know, yeah, lots of different pieces of input and you get lots of different like, you know, algorithms and pieces of logic that, you know, process that input and then eventually you get one conclusion out. So like our brain Kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Weird how that works. It all comes back to, yeah. What we understand. What we understand and what we are. Are, huh? we, are we just these meat machines? Meat machine. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how would you feel if somebody like walked up to you on the street and was like, Ian, you're a really nice meat machine? I would either flex my bicep or grab my stomach and shake it at <laughs> I shake my stomach at you sir <laughs> or no I sh uh, do your bite do you shake your stomach at me sir no but I do shake my stomach so any final thoughts on this well, I mean you would ask me what I thought my my thought for what is human existence mm -hmm. is and I mean I guess my thought is well first, I've only ever thought of that question in a societal form. Like, what do I want within for my life? Right. Within how I understand my world to work. Mm -hmm. And I also don't know if it's really ask pondering, is there more than that at this point? Because there are so many variables. There's so many things that I don't think are going to be able to happen within my lifetime. Right. And although we can sort of get stuff uh, moving for later on down the road, that is definitely possible but also with the thought of just sort of let the exist and let exist mm -hmm. equally value every single form of life mm. in the way that it exists whether right we are able to understand it or not then is it really worth it to try and put a value on how we are supposed to live as a society or can it be just we are to exist yeah. So do yeah. we take more of an active role or do we take more of a passive role? Yeah, and that's something that I've struggled with kind of in my like thinking about these these large goals of like, you know, we should be trying to advance our technology so that we can like prevent like the universe from ending in in a heat death, right? You know, kind of thing to like and I've struggled with with like reconciling that with my own life because I'm like, well, I'm not one of the like leading scientists in any given field am i wasting my life you know by not doing as much as i can to research all of that right you know and try to like advance human knowledge about those subjects in order to like you know but like but but there's no way that every single person on the planet could be doing that at all right mm -hmm. and so this it's is like how communism works is 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 the purpose of society just to create like a structure that allows enough like to that that adds enough like complex thinkers to the system and allow them to pursue those lines of thought um and research you know but then you know like of course we still have you know mundane things like uh, we all got to eat, right? So we got to, like, have enough, like, farming to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. As I said, this is how communism works. Yeah, Pure communism. Yeah. Where a society is built up and every single part of that society is valued equally because without all those different moving parts, then the society falls apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it falls apart anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's when you add the human element of it. Yeah. Poor planning and whatnot. Poor planning and greed for power and all that fun stuff. Hence the neural network and the body thing. Uh, but yes. Anyway, so within that societal context, I mean, my, my way, and I thought of this when I was younger, and I mean, yes, it's a very simple and general way of looking at the world, but 
I remember, I think it was like late junior high, early high school, the way that I thought that my purpose in life and that life's purpose was to live, to love and to learn how to live in love. So like what that meant to you, like Mm -hmm. what gives your life value? How do you, how do you determine? Well, yeah. How do you determine the value of life and to learn what that means for you and to find ways to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very individualized societal view on life's purpose. Mm -hmm. And I love that our discussion about like, are we space colonists? Are we aliens? Brought us to what is your purpose in life? (laughs) It's so wonderful. (laughs) Well, I mean, again, when, when we start talking about purpose, we are adding in a bit of a human element Mm -hmm. to it by saying that there has to be a reason behind. Right. Yeah. Existence. As and opposed can, to existence just simply being a phenomenon. Just just happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just, it makes me so giddy that, like, we exist in such a way that we can contemplate those kinds of things, our uh-huh. own existence and what our purpose is and stuff. And uh-huh. it's, man, I love life. Yeah. Life is great. Some days. <laughs> you wouldn't learn lessons if it was 100% peachy. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Extra Dimension. Remember, if you want to see uh, the show notes with links to uh, the things that we were talking about and summaries of, of the points that we're making, please go to thenexus.tv slash TED25. And if you have any thoughts on these subjects, you know, if, if, um, if we led you down a path that you had never gone before, or, you know, if you uh, have something uh, to say to refute something that we did. Call us morons. I actually want to see it happen. Please, yeah, like, uh, hit us up on Twitter at the Nexus TV or uh, email us at TV at gmail.com. The Extra Dimension is released under a Creative Commons attribution license, so if you want to use any parts of this uh, episode, feel free to do that. Just credit us. Yeah, exactly. Just just let people know uh, that we're here and link them to us. Ian Decker. Yes. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, let's see. I'm on Twitter at Bigfoot1138. I know, I still haven't updated that to anything yet. Um, you can send me an email if you really... No, we're not going to do that. Okay. Um, well, no, yeah. Send us an email at TV at gmail.com and we'll forward it to Ian. Exactly. Definitely. So... Yeah, either either Twitter me or go through the Nexus. They know how to reach me. Uh-huh. Uh, and I am Ian R. Buck. You can find me on Twitter as Ian R. Buck. Or if you go to ianrbuck.com, you'll find links to other stuff that I make as well. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Signing off. <laughs>